everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 122, Left Turn at Albuquerque, recorded December 1st, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, folks, to the internet show, the, uh, the uh, not the internet, well, it is an internet, internet show, the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. My name is Mark, the nameless one, and with me is only... Seth, the gooey kid Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hello, pseudo random topic generator. <laughs> yes. I, I don't know why. That was just my favorite one to say. Um, I don't, it's not a practical nickname, but it's a fun one to say. Yeah. Uh, from last week. Those of you who this is your first new, your first foray into the Linux world. Um, I'm sorry, but maybe go back and listen <laughs> to last week's for some, uh, context. Yes, uh, there'll be some feedback about that coming up. But first, I need to explain the the, the imbalance. The force is is out of balance this week. We have no command line Godfather. He uh, uh, is is on a business trip, uh, uh, and was expected. First, we were going to do the show yesterday, so that he could be on his business trip today. But that got uh, derailed, and then we were going to do the show from his uh, his hotel room. Uh, but he's running like three hours behind due to i'm guessing weather since he does live in siberia uh well so, now mark uh his wife emailed and said he was running three hours that's behind. true he could be so, hungover. yeah could very well be or he might have just said honey would you tell them that i'm running late i just don't want to do the show and she's like sure dear <laughs> I, I gotta say there have been i think maybe twice in my career that i had my wife call in sick for me because i was so sick that I couldn't even make the phone call. Uh, but, yeah, typically when your spouse calls in sick for you, or in this case calls in delayed, uh, you, it raises suspicions. Uh, seriously, Chris, uh, ho- hope to see you back next week. I'm sure you'd rather be here than stuck in a car with your boss. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be stuck in a car with my boss. Uh, and And I like my boss, but still. Um, so anyway, uh, the topic left turn at Albuquerque, if that's not obvious to you, that's okay. It's not obvious to anybody, but anybody who grew up, uh, in the Looney Tunes era will get the reference immediately. Uh, but tonight we're going to talk about global internet traffic routing and what it means to you. And it might surprise you what it means to you. But first it's been too long, Seth. We need some bacon in our lives. Yeah, I came, I was up, uh, watching I don't even remember the show because it honestly it didn't matter, but it was like two in the morning and I saw this commercial and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the most awesome thing ever. Um, you can buy this little, I don't know what it's made out of, but you basically wrap bacon around it and it cooks the bacon and it makes a perfect bacon bowl. And the reason I know that is because that's the name of the product, perfect bacon bowl at buyperfectbacon.com. And no, wait, 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 not Seth, fe- we, we, we have to address that. It's not buyperfectbacon.com. It's not even www.buyperfectbacon.com. It's www.buyperfectbacon.com. It, it that just freaks me out. You you can type perfect by perfectbacon.com, but it will resolve to www2. Really? Is this 1973? Okay, maybe not 73. 93 definitely was is when you'd see things like that. Anyway, I, I'm okay now. I had to get. Well, I mean, and asked. looking at the website, it could have been made. <laughs> it back could have in been 93. made in 93. 
<laughs> it's not it's not a very modern looking website but you I, know, I think obviously the videos are actually bowl, using real player um <laughs> oh that's wow <laughs> but whenever it's a bowl of bacon i mean really you don't you know it I'm speaks sorry. for itself You're and right. you don't need much of a website so so uh, it makes yes. a little bowl about the size of uh a burger really about that size maybe a personal pot pie that kind of thing um yeah think um not really a burger, but you know, if you've ever bought an egg McMuffin, you know, the round egg, that's probably about how big it is. So not really big, but, but big it's made out of bacon. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and that would be a, this would be like a great sandwich. You take a bacon bowl and you put some eggs in it and you put a piece of cheese over it and you just pop that in your mouth. That's like the, best breakfast thing ever I, w- I would pay money for that the bunless bacon sandwich or bunless breakfast sandwich see there's your even there's your marketing name right there bunless breakfast sandwich yes. that's yet another multi-million dollar <laughs> idea given to you by the co-hosts of everyday linux so all of you atkins dieters out there who are uh not eating any carbs and so the 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 biscuit would be uh, bad for you but don't care about the fat www.buyperfectbacon.com and honestly how could you not buy this i I have already placed my order not really yeah Uh, and it's only ten dollars so buy two get two free oh plus uh shipping and handling so basically you know 899 dollars shipping and handling probably but um yeah i'm too cheap to buy this but man it just looks and I don't know. I just don't get up early enough in the morning to cook breakfast. But then again, anytime's a good time for bacon. That's true. It's always a good time for bacon. I have to confess, I love infomercials. I want, we have two channels on my satellite dish service dish network that are all infomercials all the time. And my wife will just catch me on, on any random Thursday night <laughs> sitting in the living room watching infomercials. I love the art of the infomercial. Um, you know, the, the guy, uh, you know, it's, there's so many classic, it's, it's all, it's the same part of me that likes Sharknado that likes infomercials. It's that same gene that's satisfied when, when you have this dude who's 46 years old and in a business suit struggling to open a carton of milk, like it's the worst thing ever. Like you, nobody, no sane human can open a carton of milk. Clearly we need some technological advance, some space age device that will help us open a carton of milk and and everybody's incredulous until the milk carton opener 6000 pops up and then uh, and then the, this picture goes from black and white to color and now he's happy and the whole family's enjoying their milk and there's kids and there's birds singing and and there are elves dancing uh, away in the corner all because of the milk opener 2000 Milk Opener 2000. There's a good movie for sci-fi to make. <laughs> um, and if, if, if you, if you're listening to this show, we can watch it this Friday, I'm sure. So you don't really need a script. You've just got the name, throw in some cheesy dialogue, like, I can't believe this milk won't open. Ah, it's coming after us. And, you know, throw in some really bad special effects and a bunch of background shots of some random semi hot chick running, uh, in slow motion. And there's your movie. You're done. I mean, you're done. Oh, by the way, we should I, go into producing movies. I forgot to put it in the show notes because it wasn't about anything. It was I was having a, a an email um, exchange back and forth from, from one of our listeners. His name is Mike, 
And he said, by the way, I heard, I'm just listening to the show now, and I'm listening to Seth complain about Stonado. And if he'd been wa- watching the uh, bad movie for him, he would have known I'd already done that research for him and warned him that he wasn't worth the time. So there is true value to be had in our bad movie for him, folks. And, and even our own <laughs> great Seth is not taking advantage of it. Yeah, but, you know, it's just, I was like your confirmation. So, you know, people can believe you now because I'm like the second source to corroborate you your findings. So, uh, you know, now we can say, oh, yeah, I'm, he's right because Seth saw it and thought he didn't give it a bad enough uh, hammering. So <laughs> we'll believe anything he says now. So, see, I, I did that for you. Uh, Mike. Mike, yes. Um, and, and I just want to say uh, a, a quick, I'm sorry, for those of you who are audio snobs in the audience, like myself, um, I have to apologize for the quality of about the first 15 minutes of last week's show. Um, it was, as always happens, a cavalcade of errors. I had forgotten to start my backup recorder. My Audacity machine crashed. Uh, so f- we lost totally the, like, the first 15 minutes of the show. And I had I had no choice but to go... Uh, download the uh, YouTube video off of the Hangout and use that audio. And it's significantly lower quality audio than I usually do. And uh, so it's kind of muffled and sounds like we're talking through uh, a ski mask or something for about 15 minutes. And then in the middle of a sentence, Seth suddenly gets clearer and better and the rest of the show is fine. But since it was almost a nine-hour show, you probably didn't notice that only the first 15 minutes of it was bad. But still, it bothered me. And and I know there are some of you out there with the golden ears. It bothered you too, and uh, and there are others who are thinking, "Am I crazy? Did that just suddenly change?" Yes, it did. So I'm now confirming all of your uh, beliefs and and experiences and apologizing. I'll try not to let it happen before. However, it's a good time to plug uh, shopping through the elementopi.com/slash Amazon link and the tip jar at elementopi.com so that I can replace this stupid laptop and it'll stop crashing on me. All right, enough about that. Yeah, well, that's okay, Mark. I'm really too busy getting over my soreness from cutting wood the last couple of days to notice. So, um, you know, it's it's got cold in Texas, and I don't know if the amount of wood we had is going to make it. So I decided, well, you know, now's a good time to go cut down some trees and saw them up and do something I really enjoy, splitting wood. Uh, the chainsaw is fine because you got to cut the wood up to be able to split it. But I really enjoy splitting wood. And uh, so I did some of that Friday and Saturday. And I've got the sore body to prove it. You know, I Teddy Roosevelt used to say that the best rest is good physical exercise. He used to go out behind the, the White House and split a cord of wood every you know couple of days to clear his head. And I, I think Teddy Roosevelt is a nut job. Um, <laughs> and said, I, uh, on the list of things I enjoy doing... Cutting wood is way, way, it's above, I mean, it's below Stonado. I would watch Stonado over cutting wood. You, you know, I mean, like I say, the, the chainsaw and this and that kind of stuff and the picking up is not so fun, but the actual, and I don't use an axe because I've lost my good axe skills of being able to aim and, you know, look where the 
um, bark is straight and you have the lines in the trees on the rings and all that. I use like a 12, uh, it's either 12 or 16 pound maul and I just swing that. And when it hits the wood, you get this nice echoing boom sound and you watch it just fly apart. And it's just like the, you know, the inner beast just, <laughs> arr, 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 arr. uh, so that's enjoyable. Um, it's fun. You know, because you're actually getting to tear up something and you can see the immediate fruit of your labor. So, you know, if you're frustrated and, and you know, and you just like, I could kill somebody. Don't kill people. I'm all about peace. Buy a chainsaw, <laughs> cut down a tree and split the crap out of it. Uh, split it into firewood and make little kindling out of it. It's all good, man. Cause after you're doing that, you're just like, I feel so much better. Uh, life is good. Bring on the peach knops and fuzzy bunnies. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's fun. Like you, Seth, I grew up in rural Texas, and and we cut wood for heat. So I did so much of that as a child. You know, you you obviously embraced it. Maybe I'm, I'm going to play armchair psychologist. You had three older brothers, much older brothers. Maybe you enjoyed watching them. And when you finally could do it, you I'm a big boy now. I'm I can do it. That was not my experience. My experience was granddad saying. There's five trees I've marked out there with a bow around them. Go cut them, split them, and stack them, uh, and don't come back to for dinner until you do. That was that was my experience. Uh, no, that yeah, that wasn't mine. You know, like that was splitting wood. Like you know, my my dad had this thing. If if you're playing with tools and you break them, you know you're in trouble. It could you know, and it might hurt your backside before it's all said and done. <laughs> but if you're working and the tool breaks. That's just part of it. And I all, you know, whenever you're swinging with an axe, for those of you who don't know, you're supposed to take the outer third of the axe is the only part that's supposed to hit the wood. So you channel all that power into a really small thing. But instead, I like would always hit like right smack in the middle of the tree with the whole axe. I don't know how many axe handles I broke, but I was working and I was doing my best. And so dad just bought a lot of ax handles. So I don't know. May, maybe it was that passive aggressive rebellion in there me. It's go. like, ha ha, buy another one, dad. Uh, I don't know. Speaking of passive aggressive, did you do any Black Friday shopping this weekend, Seth? D- no, I really didn't. I heard the Walmart parking lot in my small town here was full before six o'clock. There was literally. Nobody could get into Walmart because it was at capacity. And I just like, you know, I, I couldn't, I, I don't like crowds of people. Um, I just, I'm more of a country boy. Give me some space, wide openness. I'll do my shopping at two in the morning when there's only a couple of other freaks in the store, but not uh, on black I, Friday. I <laughs> you, uh-uh. you, go, you go on black Friday and there's still people there at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So no, I, I did not. I, uh, I stay up kind of late on thursday and then uh, i sleep really late on friday morning that that's what i do so no i i, uh, I thought black friday meant it was dark because your eyes were closed <laughs> and asleep well in case you don't know particularly those of you outside the u.s although i'm sure you've heard about it by now as well black friday is is one of the busiest it's a myth that it's the busiest shopping day of the year it's actually not i think it's like december 21st that's the busiest shopping day of the year but uh right after christmas uh i mean right after thanksgiving it's a holiday most people have uh thursday and friday off uh, in the u.s or take thursday and friday off i you know yeah i don't get it at my job but i took it so you have all these people who have their family around and so they want to get away from their family they want to get out of the house um they've they spent all day yesterday uh 
eating turkey and watching football they're sick of turkey they want to go out and do something so they go shopping and they also go to movies uh, the friday after thanksgiving is a huge movie day in the u.s so over the years it's become this thing it's called black friday black is in being in the black as opposed to being in the red it's when stores make um most of their third quarter sales will happen uh in the you know the, the 25 days between or it varies but roughly 25 days between thanksgiving and christmas uh, but uh, it, the Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, is when it all starts. And so we have these what's called doorbuster deals. It started with uh, as soon as we open the first you know hour that we're open, you can get this great deal. And that's been moved back and back. And now stores are opening at midnight. Stores are even opening at you know uh, Black Friday now starts at 8 p.m. on Thursday. And these doorbuster deals are, uh, for example, Walmart uh, had uh, near me. I don't know if all of them did a 50 inch uh a 1080p uh, uh lcd television for 235 dollars that's pretty phenomenal 50 inch tv for 235 that's a good deal uh so that that's to get you in the store but there are no no rain checks no uh, one when they're gone they're gone and they have like three of them in the country <laughs> you know maybe one at each store at the most and so you got to be the first guy there so you know it, it gets a little aggressive when somebody's trying to get a 50 inch tv for cost of a seven inch tablet um and and so that's things get nuts so i just i don't do anything i did all my shopping in fact a lot of it had already been done um i i'm the kind of guy who does my shopping throughout the year i see something i like or or i often have things custom made um you know you can get much better deals on christmas presents in august uh, so i you know right. and i'm organized organized enough to do that but i had a few other things i needed to do and i did them all on my sofa from my laptop on black friday so i did participate in black friday but i did it online and finished all my shopping literally in 45 minutes now i still gotta go either you know the stuff has to some of it's uh, uh being shipped to the store and i gotta go pick it up others are coming to the house i still have to do that but in terms of the shopping i'm done day after thanksgiving my christmas shopping is done wow No, my Christmas shopping really doesn't start till around the 20th or 21st of December is about (laughs) the time I start my Christmas shopping. Um, So, yeah, you know, basically uh, whatever you can buy. I don't know. You know, I don't really. I got to where I would just give like, you know, because my brothers have. You know, in these days, it's expensive to go out anywhere by yourself. But if you have a family of two or three or four kids, it's super expensive. So what yeah. I would do is I would get them a gift certificate to the local cinema and just say, because I, I have one brother who is a super, super, I mean, Mark, he makes you look like an extravagant spender. That's how much of a tight wife he is. <laughs> um, I, I have to give him the, uh, get the uh, gift card and I say, and buy popcorn and big drinks and whatever they want, you know, no, splitting a small coat between four teenage kids uh or something like that so uh you know that's just i just like because i know they don't really get to go to the movies a lot because it's expensive so i I try to do that for them and that's now that my nieces and nephews are getting older and moving out of the house i got to rethink my gift giving strategy (laughs) yeah um and one last thanksgiving related thing turkey i'm still not sick of turkey i intentionally don't eat turkey january through november i i don't eat turkey sandwiches i don't you know if i'm out at subway i'm not gonna i don't eat any turkey 
so that I can not be sick of it. And so, um, I, for, for the se- seven people in my family, uh, I made 30 pounds of turkey. We've already had the full on turkey and dressing and, and, and dinner thing twice. We've had turkey soup twice. Oh, it was good too. Smoked turkey and wild rice. Yeah. Um, mm. and I've had tur- turkey sandwiches and I'm still not sick of turkey. Um, and so when that's all gone, I, Christmas, we'll do it again. I'll do another, uh, big turkey or two. Uh, so I'm a, I'm the, the old man from the, uh, Christmas story, the Turkiconis freak. I love a good Turkey because I don't, I stay away from it. I, I abstain from Turkey all year long so that I don't get sick of it. So I know there are people out there saying, God, not Turkey again, not me. No, bring it on, man. I, I, I want the, I love the Turkey. So I, I fried one and I smoked one. Uh, and, uh, they were both, uh, turned out really well. Uh, so I'm, I'm all about the Turkey and I just wanted to say, so if you're, if you're dreading your Turkey, it's cause you're not doing it right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I probably have to agree with that. <laughs> they don't call him the best color man in the business for nothing people. Uh, all right, let's move on now to the listener feedback portion of the show. I know we just did a whole big show about listener feedback. We've got some more. Uh, and I wanted to read to you, by the way, thanks really. Uh, every one of you who writes in, thank you. Um, and and a lot of people can tell you, I I often write back and we have conversations. And sometimes I don't. Sometimes somebody will say, you know, they'll send me something and I won't. It won't show up in a show, uh, or I won't respond. And they'll send me something again saying, "Did you get that? Trust me, I got it. I'm just waiting for the right time to slip it in there." Because some, for example, I had a great email about the Linux Academy, but then they went two weeks when when we didn't sponsor. They didn't sponsor a show, so I had to save that one. And so there are other things like somebody will say, here's a show topic, and I, I'm not going to mention a show topic until we're ready to do a show on it. So be patient. But I get every one of them, and, I, and I'm thankful for every one of them. So Frank writes in with some coffee ideas. You guys are on to the coffee, and I love it. He, he says, hi, guys. Love the show, yada, yada, yada. Now, down to business. Mark's Coffee Project. Mark, you've been trying to devise a way to do larger batches of coffee. My suggestion is to use a two-step process, gravity and vacuum. Start with your bucket of coffee and grounds using gravity. Pour that through a colander lined with cheesecloths to capture the majority of the grounds. Next, again, pour that through a strainer lined with a coffee filter. If you stack it properly, you might even be able to do both at the same time. I know you said that there's a lot of coffee goodness still in the grounds, but you can now fit all those grounds into your existing one-gallon vacuum system using the mason jars that withstand the pressure. Once the extraction process is complete, add that liquid from the gravity separation and voila. Hope the idea can help you. Uh, oh, yeah, let me try a couple more names for you. He says, the ringmaster, the tightwad tech. Hey. Then he says, history is a wonderful thing. And the barista. Okay, I'll stop now, Frank. So, Frank, um, that's not a bad idea, but it's more complicated than what I've already devised. And uh, I haven't, I, again, I don't like to bring things to you until they're perfected, but I, I've come up with something. It's worked twice now. I, I'm about to test it the third time later this week. If I can get three successful runs, I'll call it good, and I'll come back and let you know. But your idea is sound. It's just a little more complicated. I'm a lazy guy. I like to do things as simple as possible. Uh, so there you go. As for the Taiwan Tech, that that is me. That was my show for two and a half years. Um, and it certainly fits here uh, in this show a little bit. But uh, you brought back some memories, but I don't think it's quite appropriate for this show. The barista? Well, maybe. I like to say I'm an aspiring coffee snob. <laughs> ACS. 
Mark ACS Cockrell. Hmm. Aspiring coffee snob. Yeah, not so much. Uh, and then Heinrich, hope I'm saying that right, uh, writes in to simply say he likes us. We like those emails. He says, love to hear you guys discuss technical and how-to topics, and it's useful to get the views for both the command line godfather and the gooey kid with Mark the mediator being the middleman and keeping both of them in check when it heats up. More of the same, please. Cheers, Heinrich. Uh, so Mark the mediator. All right. We're, we're throwing everything out there and see what sticks. I like that. Uh, that one. Yeah. I can't believe we've never thought of that. That one. It's simple. It's short. It, that's got catchy. That has legs. And it's a little uh, Yeah. Mark the mediator cockerel coming at you <laughs> over the element. Open network. That, that, that could, that got, that has wings. I, I still think my personal favorite, though it's not really functional, is the pseudo random topic generator. Uh, that's a good yeah. one. All right. And, uh, and again, we have Mike, who th- this is something he asked if this could be a show topic. I don't think it's enough for a show topic. And I wish Chris were here to discuss it with us, but uh, I wanted to talk about this one. And, uh, and this will be sort of a mini diversion in the middle of the show. Uh, consider this sort of a mini show. Mike asks about Linux certifications. He says, Dear EDL crew, longtime listener and occasional writer. After hearing about Linux Academy, which I plan on using once I graduate from college, and hearing you got all those certs in Atlanta, how does one uh, find where to go and how to get these different cert- certificates? Thanks. All right, so first, the certification certifications I got uh, had nothing to do with Linux. Uh, my day job is in the healthcare field. So when I came to Atlanta, took that job, and got a number of certifications, they were totally in a different field. So that's not really germane to the conversation. Um, it might be uh, Tito or Latoya, but it's not germane. Anyway, uh, but, but it did bring up the interesting con- uh, question. Where do you go to find certifications? Um, and I want to I want to do that. But then I also want to talk a little bit. Well, let's, let's before we go there. Are certifications necessary? Do you need a Linux cert in today's world? I'm just going to pose that question to you, Seth. You know, it. I think a certification is extremely helpful whenever you're in an entry level, like for your first job or your second job, or if you're switching a career field, because that's one way to show that, you know, and granted, if you do any kind of certification thing, you hear about the paper tiger, somebody who studies up and can ace the test, but doesn't really know how to use it in the real world. But what the certification can show is that, Hey, you have aptitude in this. You know, you're not like just saying it's a little bit more than, Hey, give me a chance. I saw this ad in the paper. It's like, look, I've, I've studied and I've got this certification. So especially something like, uh, the Linux professional Institute or CompTIA is a great place to go for entry level certifications. They have one called Linux plus and that you're going to learn some basic command line things as well as just some of the history and how to do simple things that would be something a little bit above help desk, kind of a junior systems administrator type guy. But if you've been in the career, if you've been in the field for 10 years and then you go and get your entry level certification, something's wrong with that. But I think they do have a place. Um, not saying it's the only way, but yes, there is value in getting a certification uh, in today's IT job market. 
All right. Um, and you, you hit on a couple of the ones that I had mentioned there, the LPI and, and CompTIA uh, that I had in the notes. Uh, I, I, uh, let's talk about why a certification is important. Is it necessary? No. Um, is it important? Yes. And here's why. The first guy, probably the first three guys who look at your resume aren't technical. They're, they're human resource guys. They're middle managers. They don't understand the job that you're going to be hired to do. The odds are you won't actually talk to somebody who knows your job until your second interview at most places. Um, sometimes it'll be the first interview, but most of the time it'll be the second interview. You'll, you'll, you'll go through uh, HR, you'll go through the hiring process, you'll go through all that sort of stuff. Somebody will vet your resume. They will call you in for an interview, and they're looking for the obvious things. Do you have a swastika tattooed on your forehead? Can you complete a sentence? Do you stink? Um, do, you, do you look like you can carry on a normal conversation? Then, if you can get past that, then you'll actually talk to somebody who knows your job and will start talking to you about your specific job. But you got to be able to get through those first few layers of bureaucracy, and having letters after your name works, period, end of discussion. It makes you look better. It doesn't matter how good you are at your job to these people who don't understand what your job is. And I faced that for 15 years in my previous uh, line of work. I got all my education through the school of hard knocks, through experimentation, through doing. And I was an expert at many things, but I had no pieces of paper. I had no letters after my name. I had nothing to prove what I had done. So the only way I was ever able to advance or ever able to move on was to get somebody who knew me and knew what I could do to recommend me to somebody else. That's always the best way to do it. 90% of jobs come from, from referrals. Um, but failing that to make your resume stand out, to, to, make you, to make anybody even take a first look at you, having some letters after your name is important, even if, if they're not uh, considered um, really highly regarded, like the CompTIA Linux Plus or the CompTIA Net Plus or Security Plus, for example. Those are um, really low-level certifications. Any high school kid could get those. But it's something, and it's something that, that uh, an HR person uh, human resources, in case you don't know what that means, uh, can look at and say, all right, this guy has demonstrated a basic level of knowledge in this field. And then you can move up. So where do you go to take these tests? Well, in today's world, just about everything, just like my Christmas shopping, happens online. So Seth already mentioned really the two top players in the market right now, LPI, Linux Professional Institute, and CompTIA. I forget what CompTIA stands for. Computer Technology something Computer Professional Technology Association, I think. Something like that. Uh, in, so, in, in, yeah, something. So CompTIA does the Security Plus, Net Plus, and those are, those are considered basics. You, you're probably not even going to get an interview unless you have one of those. And then the Linux Plus is relatively recent, and Linux Plus is actually through LPI, Linux Professional Institute. So CompTIA uses LPI as their test bank. None of these people actually do the testing. Most of them will use some sort of testing center, like a Pearson testing center. So what you do is you go online um, and you look at what's required. They all, they all have some manner of study guide, some manner of so that you know what you need to do. And then you sign up and you look for a testing center near you. Depending on where you are, near you might be 200 miles or it might be 20 miles. It just depends. Uh, but these are testing centers. That's literally all they do for all sorts of companies, not just for CompTIA, not just for LPI. Uh, for anybody, for example, the the company that I work for, the hospital system, uh, when we did all our testing, it was through Pearson. 
that's what they do. These these they hire proctors to give tests, and that's all they do. So they're like and a most house. every most every university will have a testing center true so you can if there's a especially community colleges if there's one in if there wherever the nearest community college is you're probably they will probably have a testing center there good good point yes that's often public libraries in large cities will have them and so what you do is you go and you pay a fee part of that fee goes to the organization to comptia or lpi part of that fee goes to the testing center um, and, and it's, it, depending on the test, it can be very, if you're, you're like your MCSE can be several hundred dollars for each tests. Um, and so, it, and you're just paying for the test with pass or fail. You, you're paying your fee to show up and get the test. Uh, and then often there are multiple tests like the CompTIA Linux plus, for example, which is two different tests. Um, also there's, uh, uh, company specific certifications. Red Hat is probably number three on the list. These are my rough estimates other companies are gonna look at others more like some people if they're really red hat specific in-house they're gonna look at your red hat certifications better so if you know specifically who who you want to work for mike doesn't he's he's in college so he doesn't have somebody in in mind um but if you do find out what they use and find out what certifications they prefer but red hat has uh has been the standard for a very long time they they are very obviously red hat specific uh, the CompTIA and LPI are more general Linux knowledge, and then there's now, a- and it's been a it's been a while since I've looked into Linux certification, but used to the Red Hat carried prestige in it. Whether the shop, if if you were a Red Hat certified Linux professional, you know you could walk around with a little swagger in your step, as opposed to like a CompTIA peon. You know the the Red Hat was. It was saying something. Now, again, I don't know if that's still the case, but it was looked upon very desirably in the Linux field, which, you know, most back office places, that's a big deal. Right. My understanding is it's less so now as people are diverging from Red Hat, Uh, but it's still, you can't go wrong. Red Hat certification is not a bad thing ever. Uh, And then below that is Novell. They have their own and Sousa has their own. And I dare to, I, I'm not even going to put the link in the notes, uh, but Oracle has their own as well. So you can be an Oracle certified uh, professional. Um, but basically just go there. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, Mike. You asked this this question and we spent 10 minutes here discussing it. But really the answer to your question is go to Google and type Linux certifications. And there you go. Yeah, and look for in your results the Linux Professional Institute and CompTIA's website for Linux Plus to get you started on the pathway to which way you want to go. Because LPI offers a couple, I think there's like a level one and a level two, so they have two different certifications you can get. Uh, whereas opposed, oh, they they have a third. Yeah. Okay, it's it's been a while since I've looked at it. But. Yeah, LPI level one, two, and three. Uh, cool. And then and they have other stuff, but those are just the Linux-based ones. So there you go. I would look first at LPI, uh, second at CompTIA, third at Red Hat. I don't know that that those are necessarily the right thing to tell you, uh, but those that's what what I'm going to go with. And all those links will be in the notes when we put this up. Uh, okay, moving on, Brent is another satisfied customer of the Linux Academy. He says, Hi, I'm happy I started listening to your show a few weeks ago. I love the show and the discussion uh, that are about all the stuffs. 
There's internet speak for you. Thanks for take, talking about the Linux Academy. I bought a three-month subscription so I can start on my way to LPIC, Linux Professional Institute Certification Level 1. Uh, I've been interested in Linux for a few years. I really like the Linux Academy because they show you how you would use these things in your everyday work. Once again, thanks and live long and prosper. So now I have to. I have to move into the Linux Academy ad because we've just talked about them. Uh, and honestly, if you want to, the, these are your certifications that we just talked about. How do you prepare for a certification? LinuxAcademy.com is the place to go. Uh, Linux Academy will teach you Linux. They're not going to teach you the task. Chris, uh, Seth, that's his name, was talking about the paper tigers. There are people who will teach you the test without actually teaching you the knowledge. You go and... and Seth, I, I'm not st stepping out of school when I tell you tell people that you went to one of those places, right? That teach you to take the test, right? Um, and that was and as one part of your uh, learning, there's nothing wrong with that. So that wasn't all I had, but yes, right. that was one part of it. That was let me see. We had golly that place. It was like a freaking boot camp. I mean, really, I mean, I studied from like seven in the morning to seven at night and probably about half of that was actual test prep and the other half was concentrated lab. So that was a large part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Linux Academy doesn't do that. They're, they're certainly interested in helping you pass the test, but they're more interested in teaching you concepts that actually work in the real world. Go figure. Uh, amazing that somebody actually cares about that. Um, and they they are now starting to align their courses with the LPIC because it's one of the, the top industry ones right now. So you can go to linuxacademy.com. You can log into their brand new redesign control panel and look at some of their new courses. And one of the things you'll see is LPC, LPIC level one. And they have aligned that with what LPIC says. If you, you can do these things, you can pass the test. Well, then they take that, they reverse engineer it and say, okay, we're going to teach you how to do these things. So you go through, you do the LPIC level one course, you can go past the LPIC level one test. How do we know? Because people have done it. Students have used the Linux Academy uh, module for LPIC and taken the test and passed it. Not just a couple, not just one, several. It's something that's happening on a regular basis. Uh, Linux Academy offers step-by-step -step video courses to take a novice, a total beginner, somebody who is pretty comfortable with, with at least basic computing, and take them and teach them how to be a Linux administrator. What what more do you need uh, in this world today? So, so they teach you, uh, LPIC certifies you, and there you go. Put that on your resume. Your stock just went up a little bit. They also offer PDF study guides. They often offer a lesson browser. So if you don't want to take a module or take a course, you just want to poke around and do things your own way, I would do that. Do it that way. You just say, okay, I'm going to take this course. And it remembers that you took uh, watch that video. You say, I want to watch this video. And it remembers that you watch that. Along with the videos, they have tests. So you can take your test after watching the video, and it remembers how you did on that. So you can do self-guided learning that way. But certainly the easiest way to do it is just to click a module, and it tells you everything. It tells you everything that's in it. It tells you how many hours it's going to take. It says this is a 17-hour course, and we're expecting you to do five hours of lab work. Uh, and it, it breaks all that down for you. And it's really, it's, it's pretty amazing. And how much would you expect to pay for this amazing stuff? Right now, everybody who's listened to the show uh, uh, for a while is yelling at the phone, $19 a month, and you're wrong. It's a dollar for the first two weeks. So for only a dollar, you get a two-week trial. Um, Anthony's all about letting you try before you buy. Go in there. 
Download stuff. Take courses. Look at the PDF study guys. Use, use their online uh, virtual lab setup on Amazon Webs. By the way, speak of Amazon, there's a, courses there for Amazon Web Services. That's a certification as well. It's not specific to, to Linux, but you can become an Amazon Web Services certified professional. That looks good on a resume too. Right there at Linux Academy, there's a module for that. And uh, if you like it after two weeks, and you're going to, you can you can stay for a while. For $19, you get a full month. If you pay for two months, they'll throw in a third month for free. So $38 for a quarter. That's it. That's it. For three months, for $38. At the end of three months, maybe you've done everything there is to do. You're done with them. You walk away. You're happy. But you're not going to be done with them because they're adding stuff all the time. And they listen to their customers. They, they frequently do surveys. Hey, what do you want to learn what do we need to do what do we need to add you ask and they answer period end of discussion linuxacademy.com check them out tell them we sent you by using the uh, referral code everyday linux in the box and just to kind of give you some context while i did i waited until he was talking and i searched for linux certification and i found a place that has one course online for 89 dollars and at the end of that, they claim you're able, you're ready to, for the CompTIA Linux Plus exam. So that's one course for $90 versus unlimited courses for three months for less than $40. So you can, you could go through tons of stuff in six months versus, and this is one of the cheapest things I've seen. It's not uncommon to see them, this in the thousands of dollars price range. So you're definitely getting your value here. And once you've done the test, uh, done the course, it may cost you $500 to take the test. Save your money for the test and and uh, you spend as little as possible on the learning. And and also, Anthony, his crew over there at, at pinehead.tv, they're just good people. And, and we're happy. We thank them for their support of the show. They help us keep coming to you week after week. And so check them out. All right, moving on to the tech news. We have quite a lot, and of course, we're already uh, hitting close to an hour. Well, not quite, about 40 minutes. So we may not do all of these, but uh, <laughs> Microsoft has, has really been big into um, anti-Google ads lately. Not just pro-Microsoft, but anti-Google, not anti-Apple. I think that's interesting. They, they no longer see Apple as competition, I guess. Uh, so they've come up with their Scroogled ads. Yeah, I saw this. Uh, I came across this online. It's the Pawn Stars, uh, yes. which I really love. I love the Pawn Stars. And so this 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 random hot chick walks into uh, Las Vegas Gold and Silver and says, "You know, I want to I want to trade my laptop." for a ticket to Hollywood. And he goes, whoa, not so fast. This is a Chromebook and it doesn't have Windows and doesn't have Office and goes on to diss the Chromebook. I mean, there are, you know, granted, the Chromebook is not for everybody. And if, you, if you're if you not always connected, but I just thought it was neat. I thought it was funny. The, the advertising was funny. And really, it's kind of good to see Microsoft kind of, I, I actually kind of like this line of advertising. I kind of like the way they're doing it. You know, it's in the kind of the whole, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC right. that Apple did, you know, which granted that those technically those shows are so far from an accurate representation. They were laughable, but they were enjoyable. And I loved watching them. I, I loved watching the, uh, don't get scroogled, uh, 
commercial from uh, from Microsoft. And then I saw it on TV um, yeah. over the Thanksgiving weekend. Me so it, it was pretty neat. So and they have, yeah, they have a website, scroogled.com, S C R O O G L E D. And they've done some of these ads internally. They started doing scroogled ads like to their employees. Uh, and, and now they're str- branching out. And I think it's cool. I think they don't have a leg to stand on, honestly. Um, they did uh, an ad, series of ads a while back about email man or Gmail man, rather. Right. And uh, Gmail man knew, knows everything about you because he reads all your emails. And uh, But people know what they're getting into when they're getting Google stuff for the most part and nobody who buys a chromebook thinks it's a windows laptop um but anyway but I, you I know think somebody I think who was maybe going to look for a laptop would not look at chrome True. would not look at a chromebook because they saw this commercial the average who our ideal target market is the everyday computer user who isn't technologically savvy I could see this forming that initial impression in their mind of right. Chromebooks are bad. Therefore, they will never look at them. Right. Uh, so, you know, I mean, and, you know, it's kind of like the uh, impression that is still out there that Linux is bad because it's free. Uh, you know, it's anybody who knows anything knows that's not the case. But that initial impression is Linux is bad because it's free. Um, so and in and, any and way, I just thought it was a humorous thing and. I enjoyed the commercial. I enjoyed the video because I love Rick. He's my favorite character <laughs> on Pawn Stars. Uh, my mom spent a couple of weeks, a couple of days with a not a couple of weeks, a couple of days with me uh, <laughs> over the Thanksgiving break, and I introduced her to the iPad. She had never seen an iPad before, um, and like many sixty-plus-year-old women, she's into Facebook in a big way right now. And she had this tiny little phone. She had her little, you know, free phone that that uh, cricket telephone server whatever it was gave her and she had a big magnifying glass and so she's looking at the phone through the magnifying glass then putting the magnifying <laughs> glass down and tapping the screen and then picking up and looking at it again um so i i told my daughter go go get the ipad let's let grandma log into that and she was just amazed this is amazing and and then she said can i get a can i get a a, a keyboard with it um and oh yeah you can get one of those uh and she said well if, if i get one of these i'm gonna get a keyboard but she's already got a laptop and she complains that the laptop she has to sit it uh, right like up on her chest because she can't see and the ipad is a much bigger display uh and i said but once you put a keyboard on that it's just like your laptop and you still have the same problem but you got to sit it on your chest and try to figure out how to type with it um, but it's, I think it's always interesting. Anybody who, who doesn't know anything about technology, as soon as they get an iPad in their hand, first thing they ask is, can I put a keyboard on it? Well, you can, but then you ruin it. Um, yeah, it, it, then it's called a laptop and it's just like this touch screen thing. And it's probably actually, by the time you add the price to the keyboard thing, those, more. uh, ultra yeah. touch books are probably actually cheaper. Yeah, she she has a an HP that she bought for like two hundred and fifty bucks. Just a cheap little laptop, and it's fine because literally all she does is Facebook. Um, but I I know that doesn't have anything to do with anything that we were talking about. But it's just the the grandma user that we often talk about. You know, I have one of those right. in my own family. Um, and would I give her Ubuntu and Unity? Crap, no. Uh, I wouldn't do that. I'm going to give her an iPad or an Android tablet and say, here, do, this is everything you need to do right here. And I, and I think that's why Microsoft is fighting against Google. Not The Chromebook is just an easy target. The problem is they can't, they can't attack Android because Android beats them in almost every metric. But the, but the Windows machines that they sell, 
when you go to scroogle.com and go to buy a machine, you're buying a Windows 8 tablet with a keyboard on it. That's what they're trying to sell you. Uh, because right. that's the only thing they have that is comparable to the Chromebook in terms of price. So they're attacking, yep. you know, oranges because they don't want you to buy pears. Right. Well, you know, and the thing is, if you can just, you want to paint a negative perception of the enemy by any means possible. Right. So, uh, you know, therefore, Android would be guilty by association. And uh, you know what's not negative right now? Nokia's market share in terms of Windows. Now, this isn't surprising, really. Windows has a very small percentage of the mobile market, and and Nokia has all of that very small percentage of the wind of the mobile market. Yes, they have over ninety percent. You know, I mean, I thought real hard about this would be good for the Mark loves numbers category, but yeah. Uh, Windows phones, especially Windows 8 phones, Nokia, 90%. HTC is in second place with a whopping 7%. Uh, Samsung and the other place that starts with an H, they each have a little over one. So, yeah, if you're running a Windows phone, it's probably a Lumia. And again, Lumina makes some, or Lumia, there's no N in it. Lumia makes some, there's some really good things. You know, the 14 bajillion pixel camera that they you know you can take close-up pictures of jupiter from the surface of the planet uh kind of thing so you know they make a compelling thing it's just kind of the ecosystem around it and they're so late into the game yeah and it's not a great product plain and simple but uh the hardware nokia hardware is real i wish i could get the uh the I can't for I can't remember what their names are terrible. They're just numbers. The the Lumina fifty one whatever it is with that fourteen megapixel camera. I wish I could right. get that hardware with Android on it. That would be awesome. Um, but you know it's not happening. And so if you right now they're trying to to win on the strength of their hardware and it's working. The people like their phones. Speaking right. of 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 operating systems that won't <laughs> that won't go away how about hala the hala smartphone why is hala a big deal or java i'm not sure how that's pronounced why is that a big deal because it's the offspring of migo lives Woohoo! my baby i love you so much um so yes you're still there it is not dead it will not die ever so yes, it went live and it's not one of those things that sometime in the next decade, we might have a prototype based on this operating system that we're almost close to finishing. This is the first run went live and it was a pre-sale thing. So it's not like they're available for sale, but they're actually people have purchased them and they have it. They're alive and well, uh, go holla, me go lives, holla out at ya. <laughs> my favorite part of the video is that one of the dudes doing the uh demo has some rocking tattoos on his hands and uh, <laughs> but yeah it's uh it's a modest hardware running a zombie os what what more could you want hey you know the first android was crap too so uh yes. the second android th this was is much better yeah but this is better than the first android was uh you know uh anyway it's it's Migo, it's alive, and it will live forevermore. Go, Migo, go. Another thing that may live forevermore, despite uh, much to the chagrin of your true two hosts here tonight, is the ignorance 
of those in East Texas. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago that there was a really uh, crappy, vague patent that was being defended in court, and those hicks from our part of the country, from where Seth and I uh, uh, hail from, they 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 gave in, and they 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 decided that Newegg was the big bad guy, and Patent Troll Number Three was the the downtrodden little guy. Oh, I'm just I'm sickened by this. I apologize. Has a Texan who is not a complete and total idiot on on behalf of the morons in my state and in my region of the state. This isn't some, this isn't some hippie freak who transplanted to Austin. This is East Texas where I'm from. (sighs) Although granted they're a little more East, uh, and they're kind of close to Louisiana. So we'll cut them a little slack. Um, but come on guys, this was, did you, you know, they weren't, I don't even think they were, I, just i think somebody like had a date or their wife was cooking something for dinner and they were just tired of being there and they just said fine we'll give it to them um that'll be but we'll only give them half the amount so that way it's kind of equitable for everybody the the one bright spot is they wanted like five and a half billion they only got a little over like 2.3 million but this is not the first time that new egg has lost an initial um case only to have it thrown out in appeal so they are appealing it and hopefully we'll get up into some people who you know like i told you i gave up on the fact that somebody would one day trip over common sense but hopefully in this <laughs> case it's just it's too blatant and they will just realize the absurdity of this uh, so so let me give you some specifics here so this guy's basically saying that uh, the e-commerce encryption that new egg uses and pretty much everybody else uses infringes on their patent but they can't really tell you about the patent because that would be giving away trade secrets. So just trust me that we have a patent on this encryption. So Newegg goes out and brings out Wit Diffie, one of the guys who wrote the Diffie-Hellman cipher that, that if you're a cryptolo- into cryptology at all, you know that name. Unfortunately, the farmers in East Texas aren't, and they didn't. And so he comes on and says, yeah, well, here's the super advanced math I used to design this back in the the late 70s, early 80s, long before this guy was even thinking about this. And then they had another guy on Ron Rivest who basically wrote the 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 protocols that we all use today for public key cryptography. And he comes on and says, yeah, this guy pretty much making crap up here's how here's the real story and the farmers just went nah we don't believe it this is a a little guy being stomped on by a big guy 2.3 million (sighs) i mean you know it his name is in the freaking algorithm people (laughs) i mean you know this isn't it's not let me tell you what my friend did it's like i don't need to get the book because i wrote the freaking book you know it's like well, it doesn't say, you know, how come you haven't published, you know, you know, why don't you have this degree? Uh, because I wrote the qualifications to get that degree. That's why. Uh, anyway, come on. I- I'm sorry. I, I humbly apologize and beseech and beg your forgiveness on behalf of the idiots and my fellow East Texans. Uh, we're a great group of people, but apparently a lot of us still are pretty technologically ignorant. 
this will be appealed and the, the appeal will be won. I'm confident in that, but it's just dragging it out longer. It's costing a good company more money to defend against a bad patent troll. Now, I'm not a big Newegg fan. I'm not, yay, Newegg. I'm, I'm against anybody who, who tries to use this kind of trollish behavior. Uh, and, and I'm pro anybody who stands up to it. So, you know, it just, it saddens me. Um, you know, I might actually go and buy something from Newegg this week just simply because they're standing up to them. There you go. Well, you know, I mean, that, that would be that would be how we could show our support to Newegg. And again, Newegg is not our sponsor, although Newegg, if you would like to be, you know, we can be bought <laughs> you cheap. Um, you know, but yeah, go out and support Newegg. And, you know, I'm not saying, you know, don't go buy a, a supercomputer or something like that, but you know, go buy a, a ream of CDs or something from them just to show them some support. And because I don't have a good transition for this, you ever pulled uh, a pair of jeans out of the laundry, stuck your f- a hand in the pocket to find something that was clearly a check at one time that you just put through the washing machine, but now it's a wadded up piece of once was paper, and you're like, I wonder how much this was. Was this was this the five dollar birthday check my grandma gave me? Was this a hundred dollar, um, you know, check that that I got? Was this my payroll check that I didn't? What was this thing? And and it's gone now. Whatever it was, there's no getting it back. How about realizing that check was worth seven point five million dollars? Yeah, this is. Uh, I mean, this isn't really news. This is kind of sad and funny. Um, this guy, uh, you know. Used to when bitcoins were first introduced, you could like set up a bitcoin miner and you could get coin after coin after coin just come rolling in. And now you've got to have massive networks of computers mined for hours to find one, but they really weren't worth anything. A couple of pennies, maybe a couple of bucks. And this guy had about 7,500 bitcoins in an e-wallet on this old uh hard drive that he threw into a landfill uh and then later he realized has in a large part thanks to the ransomware thing that's going around bitcoins flirted with the thousand dollar a bitcoin mark so seven thousand five hundred bitcoins at roughly one thousand dollars a piece if he still had access to that wallet um by now, I doubt you could get any information off of it, but he said he even went to the landfill and told the guys when he threw it out, and they said, uh, it'll be in this area three to four feet down. So, uh, you know, he looked around a little bit, but he didn't find it. But if it's been out in a landfill for that length of time, you would probably have, I don't even know if uh, one of those high-dollar data recovery places would be able to get anything off. Yeah. But it would be worth it, you know, if you got, a seven and a half million dollar hard drive just sitting there. So it's just one of those funny things. You know, we've all thrown out things um, that how many times have we thrown out things that we didn't even realize, you know, I, I just threw away that sack of garbage, uh, but I didn't look through the garbage and there was a hundred dollars that I had put in a book I was reading or something like that. So just kind of, I mean, it kind of, I feel for the guy, but I'm going to laugh at him <laughs> at the same time. I'm, I'm crying with him for have done any, having done the same thing but on a much smaller scale uh and our next story not really much of a story not much you can say about it but softpedia.com now has more than two thousand linux distributions in its directory yeah i looked it up this afternoon two thousand and one distributions of linux 
Um, that's just ridiculous. They can't all be live. Some of them have to be like, you know, uh, I wouldn't need, I, I might, we might have to do a thing where we just go and pick out the 10 dumbest sounding names we've ever heard of and, uh, make a show over it. But 2001 yeah. distributions of Linux, uh, separate distributions. That's not like Ubuntu one counts as one, Ubuntu two counts as two. That's Ubuntu, Xbuntu, Nobuntu, right. Yourbuntu, Mybuntu, uh, and then Freezer Joggen Morgenstein version <laughs> 1.0 alpha. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, 2001. And this next one is just, it's just kind of interesting. Uh, you know, there's been all sorts of talk about, uh, drone strikes and whether they're legal and whether the government has the rights to do the drones. Well, the criminals are getting in onto the drone act as well. Yeah, this is, uh, kind of funny. Uh, four people were arrested in Calhoun, Georgia for using one of those six rotor helicopter drones to deliver tobacco inside a state prison operating from nearby woods uh and apparently they were using binoculars to uh navigate the drone over the prison fences but they were noticed by um like like a lieutenant with the state police or a guard noticed it and the search found it and turned them up so you know there's a bit a lot of talk if you're a tinfoil advisor guy like me you don't like the thought of drones flying overhead looking at what you're doing you know i'm not out I'm in my, I'm out in my property cutting down cheese, uh, to heat wood for my house. You know, I'm not trying to make bombs and blow up things. Uh, but I just, I just don't want, I, it's just not anybody's business that I choose not to tell. You know, obviously I'm telling the whole world, so it's not a big deal. I just don't want people watching me while I do it. But yet here, the criminal element is, uh, using drones. Uh, you know, not that I've been to prison, but I hear there's a black market for things such as tobacco. Yeah. So that just, the technology has become so readily available that now you can to fly one. And that's actually kind of a good idea. You fly the helicopter, you hide out in the woods because they've got enough range that you can be out of sight. You fly the helicopter in, you let the, uh, the cigarettes drop and you tell the guy, you know, they're over here in the back left corner when you go out for whatever they call that recess uh, <laughs> in prison, uh, go pick them up. Uh, it's a neat idea. It didn't work because generally speaking criminals are dumb but you know you don't know maybe this wasn't the first time they've done it you know it's like oh you found us this time but you missed the 57 That's previous true. drops we did so uh, all right and yeah so now it's not about keeping the prisoners in you got to keep the drones out so i guess they're gonna have to like mesh the uh overhead as well yes yeah you gotta put you gotta put a roof on it on the outside uh and then a little bit of actual linux news imagine that uh the as we've talked about before you know those who like to say that linux is impermeable um and we always say yeah it's not really quite so true there is yet another linux worm uh, but this one is interesting it's actually out in the wild not targeted at people but targeted at the stuff that the people have yeah and it's low priority and so they're not seeing a lot of it, but it's Linux dot Darlow's has the worm has been dubbed. And the thing it's not some, and again, Linux is not that insecure, but it patches bugs. But the thing is, if you, if you set up a web server and you use some PHP from three years ago, when you've never went back and updated it, 
there have been bugs found on that since then that were taken care of in previous versions of PHP or your router is running Linux, but because it is so the hardware on it is so minimal, it doesn't it doesn't have the horsepower to take the upgraded code and you never change the default, you know, blank for the username and password that'll get you in like pretty much every D link and yeah. like admin and password will get you in like every Belkin. And so that's all you got to, you know, and nobody changes that. So this worm tries those and you leave on um, the ma- manage through the web side, you know, there's that check mark that it used to and it's not anymore but it used to be checked by default where you can manage it from the outside coming in and then boom you've just given them hosts you've given them the keys to your gateway and now they own your network uh, and it sends these informations off and this is how botnets get created um, through worms such as this so you know it, this is it's nothing we haven't said before change the default password turn off you know, outside management, turn off UPnP and update your stuff. And, you know, especially change the passwords on things like, you know, the little net gear and the little blue box things that, um, are running your perimeter, uh, because a lot of times they don't have the ability to be upgraded because they can't, they don't have the horsepower to accept the code that fixes the vulnerabilities that have been discovered since it was made four or five years ago. And, and what leads us really nicely into our topic. And that's, uh, again, it's about the internet of things. It's about things that are out of date. Um, and this is a, again, another Ars Technica article as the last one was, um, I'm going to try to break this article down for you as simply as I can. Seth, uh, uh, fill in uh, the the gaps where I leave them. Uh, essentially, uh, a group of people have been noticing some odd stuff going on on the internet. And way, way up top, way above your little router and way above your ISP, but all the way up where, like, the major backbones. There's really a handful, I'm going to say 10 or 12, major backbone internet providers in the whole world. Um uh, like in the U.S., there's level three, um, and maybe I don't know who. There's somebody else alongside level three. I can't think of who it is, but level three is like the, one of the big ones. So there's those guys have some some smarts built into their electronics that let them intelligently route around problems. So any router. Uh, and again, this is big scale. This is not talking about your little D-Link in your house or even, uh, you know, the big 500 uh, uh, CPU unit that your uh, corporation is using. This is this is the the major, the the big time stuff, the backbones, the the transcontinental uh, fiber optic lines, that sort of stuff. They have some logic in them that can uh, proactively advertise routes. So one of these devices can say. Uh, I am now accepting all traffic bound for uh, China. And everybody in the system kind of looks around and says, okay, I'm good with that. Anything sent to China, I'm going to send to you. Nobody actually looks to see whether that router is in China. Because maybe the Chinese router is down and we need to send it through um, South Africa first. You know, that sort of stuff needs to happen. And it's all happening in the background, largely automated. It's it's largely a system that just works on its own, and not many people are paying attention to it. 
Well, this one particular firm, Seth, can you remember who it is off the top of your head? Um, it's, a, I think, a Scandinavian. Uh, no, I don't remember. Anyway, there's... Renes, R-E-N-E-S-Y-S. It's a network intelligence firm. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, Renesis. Okay. So they started paying attention to this. And that's what researchers do. They just look. And they're not necessarily looking for anything. And I started to see some odd behavior. And one of the things they noticed was um, traffic bound for uh, the U.S. was being sent through Belarus. That doesn't make any sense. Why would that happen? Um, and what they found out is the Belarusian, the Belarusian server said, I'm now in charge of U.S. traffic. And all the routers, including the ones in the U.S., said, okay, and started sending traffic that way. And then they noticed things that this is happening repeatedly, almost daily, things bouncing around to one or two places. And so they form some hypotheses. One of those is that there's bad guys there that are monitoring that traffic. So now any traffic that that was sent to the White House, for example, goes through Belarus first. Now, they can only see stuff that's unencrypted obviously, but as we recently found uh, through more of the Snowden revelations, uh, a lot of companies uh, between their own servers don't encrypt things. Uh, if they own the the fiber or whatever the connections between them, there are a lot of things that you might think are, is, are encrypted is not that aren't. But even, that, even then, you know, most of your just random browsing around the internet isn't encrypted. When you log into your bank, that triggers an encryption and, and you're good there. But now, even uh, now the guy knows that it's you and you have an account at that bank. So there's, they're gathering that metadata. So and also it's, it's been pretty much taken care of now, but up until recently, a lot of depending on how a website security is set up, a password will be sent in plain text to kick off an encrypted section. Um, could be, and yes. again, that's, that's been taken care of and hardly anybody does that anymore, but old websites that were set up, you know, three or four years ago and never updated this forum that you use, you're one of those people and you use the same password on 98 of your 100 websites that you visit and you use the same email address. Now they know, Hey, this person, you know, this thing is their password. Well, let's try it on their email account. Well, they try it on your email account and boom, you know, I, and again, this is just tinfoil advisor kind of th- stuff. I'm not saying it does happen. I'm merely pointing a possible attack vector that gets opened up by this. And uh, not only that, but most email, the vast majority of email is sent server to server unencrypted. In fact, the uh, there is uh, a, a secure SMTP protocol and a secure POP protocol, but almost nobody uses it. So I can connect to Google, for example, from my phone encrypted. And Google can connect to another server encrypted. But if Google's talking to um, Yahoo, I don't know. I'm just making this assumption. And Yahoo doesn't support that encryption. It's got to send it unencrypted. So most internet mail is sent unencrypted. So a bad guy with with the bandwidth who says, all right, I'm now taking all traffic bound for North America, can sit and read your email. Now, obviously, he's getting tons of traffic. He's got to be be able to store it or sift through it or whatever. So it's it's not a very practical attack. But my hunch is, and it's totally my hunch, that these are proof of concepts. These are guys testing. What happens if I do this? How long does it take for the system to rectify itself? What can I see here? And and uh, this this research company says it's happening almost every day, like uh, uh, twenty days out of of a month. 
they saw this happen every day and it was routed to a, a whole different place but everything was routed to that one place and the next day it goes somewhere else. so somebody's playing with the system trying to figure out what's going on here um and so that's that's what the article is and and so i had some some thoughts about that that i thought we, we might discuss why do, why does this matter to you uh, well, there, you know, we already talked about one, the snooping angle. It's possible for somebody to just dive right in. Now, that, again, would have to be very sophisticated, and they're probably going to be looking for specific traffic if they do this. The odds are they're not interested in your grocery list. But it's still possible that you could get caught up in the net. Uh, and if they, you know, if they're, maybe they're not looking for uh, a guy having an affair with his secretary at work, but they find him and they think, hey, this guy might pay us a few thousand dollars not to let his wife know this. You know, you could be collateral damage in that. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things. But here's another thing um, and that what I think is the bigger deal. So they divert traffic to Belarus. And Belarus doesn't have the infrastructure to handle all that traffic. They have literally slowed down the entire Internet by doing this. They have flipped a switch sent out a packet to the backbones and fundamentally harmed the entire internet by doing that. So what happens if they route all that traffic to an enemy? They could DDoS them with the entire traffic of the internet. That's scary. Yeah, it's um this is a man in the middle attack which if you've never heard that before you can like Wikipedia has a great, you know, overlevel overview thing that puts it in everyday language of what it is, but basically it's um imagine that you can't talk to someone directly and you're passing, you know, like let's go back to third grade and you know, you're best friends with Johnny, but in between you and Johnny is Sue, so you have to give a note to Sue to give to Johnny. Well, you're trusting Sue to take your note and deliver it to Johnny. You're trusting Sue not to read it. But what happens if Sue then, you know, what if she gives a different note or instead of giving it straight to Johnny, it goes all the way around the class. And or so the teacher takes it up me- and reads it to everybody. Right. So, you know, that's, that's a very simple thing of what's being done. It's like, Oh, I can't reach Johnny, but I can reach Kevin who can reach Sue, who can reach Frank, who can reach Ben, who can reach Jerry, who can reach Johnny. So instead of it being back and forth real quick, the whole class gets their hands on it. And you know, what if, what if, you know, somebody had a note ready to go and when they got it, they palmed it and passed on the fake note. Well, all of a sudden you've just insulted them and told them what a loser they are. But that wasn't what your note said. And that's something that that's kind of what a man in the middle attack is. It gets information and passes along fake information are the ways that the most the most uh, common ways that it is um, it is used in the real world. Does that I mean, does that like a good explanation, yeah, Mark? It, it's certainly a possibility. Now, again, most things are going to if you're talking about, say, troop movements of military force, that's going to be encrypted. They're not going right. to be able to, in real time, break that down. If if they can stop the traffic, but somebody's going to notice that those commands are going to be canceled, it's going to be sent a different route. So the, the stuff that they have to do has to be undetectable or not obvious uh, at the first. Uh, so the I think that the potential for snooping is pretty low. 
uh, it just makes them uh, it makes all the traffic come to them instead of them having to search around. So instead of having to find people uh, up to no good, uh, they can just let the people who are up to no good come to them. So you right. know that's the I think the that the snooping aspect, the men in the middle aspect of that is fairly minimal. I could be wrong, but I think that this most of the the basic encryptions and systems we have in place now can defeat that. But the bigger deal is the the potential to damage the internet. The entire entity that is the internet is vulnerable in a lot of ways. And I wanted to have this discussion with you, Seth, and with our listeners. The internet is built on the concept of explicit trust. Uh, we, we've seen this in email, all right? The reason you get spam is because just like the mailbox outside your front door, it accepts anything put into it. There's no encryption to get into it. There's no cost uh, to to anybody or minimal cost uh, to somebody to put something in your mailbox. Uh, and whatever is directed to you goes there. Uh, you know, I get mail every day that's not to me in my mailbox. It's to a previous tenant, uh, tenant, or it says resident, or it's just wrong. That happens on a regular basis. Uh, same thing happens in my in basket. So, the the internet was built on explicit trust. You are who you say you are because you are who you say you are. Um, you know, originally in the old days, email was all about open relays. Anybody, any server would send mail from anybody to anybody because this server may not be down. And, and the best way to make sure the message gets there is to have any server pick up any email and forward it on. Well, that caused a real problem when spammers started sending, sending something from me to Seth but I didn't send it, and it didn't come from my server. It came from from Chris's server to Seth. Seth looks at it, says, "Well, this looks right to me." And then you know you get some some mom and pop shop running their own mail server that is now suddenly serving up thousands of of spam messages an hour, and they didn't know it, and it's none of their mail. It's not coming from them. Their server is just an open relay. So you know now that's been blocked. In fact, there's you know the the ORBS, the open open relay blacklist service, is out there detecting open relays. And and uh, people can subscribe to that and shut them down. Any mail coming from an open relay is considered spam. So that has been sort of fixed now or, or uh, phased out. Um, well, you know, Mark, uh, one example, and I just I remember this from whenever we were in college. I wanted I needed to talk to you, but I did not have an email address. And this is before like Hotmail and Yahoo and all those. This is a long time ago. What I did was I went. And I fired up Outlook Express on a computer in the college lab and I configured it. I took a guess at what the, cause you had, I don't remember the name of the company, but you're, and I configured it with the SMTP and the pop three settings. And I sent you an email from yourself and you had thought I had came to your house and went in on your computer and sent you an email. And it was just because I guessed what the SMTP and the POP was. There was no password requirements back then. Mm -hmm. I was simply able to tell that computer, hey, use this POP server, use this SMTP server, and use this email address. And so I sent you an email from yourself from a computer, you know, 10 miles away. And, you know, and of course that's been fixed now, you know, you have to have username and passwords and all of that. But back then you didn't have to. And that was, you know, 
if you remember what one of the functions of the internet was it had to be able to survive a nuclear attack. And the way you can do that is by not having just one route, you have a hundred different possible routes. So one route, like, you know, you can't get from Dallas to Atlanta through Interstate 20. You got to take I-30 to Texarkana and then maybe go up to Nashville and then come back down and around there. You can still get there. It's just a couple extra hops. Well, in the early days, that was no problem, but has these weaknesses and they're not weaknesses. It's kind of like the, the criminal element has taken the strength of the internet and used it against itself. So we're having to fix these things that in one way it, it makes it harder to use. So I don't really right. know if that tied in. I just want no, to that was good. talk. And so, but what we're seeing is the, the grand, the, the really top level version of that was these, these internet gateways, these large backplane, uh, uh, devices trust each other implicitly. They don't ask questions. If a new routing table comes in, they not only accept it, but then propagate it out, send it out and say, Oh, Hey guys, I got a new routing table. Everybody update this. And so it's trivial for anybody on the internet to totally change the entire routing structure of the internet. Now, you super geeks out there are telling me I'm wrong. I understand this. I'm breaking this down. I'm making it super simple, okay? I don't want to get emails about how I oversimplified this. I'm telling you I'm oversimplifying it. But that's basically what happens. Anybody on the internet who knows what they're doing can send a packet that says, now all traffic destined for China goes through Tahiti. Tahiti doesn't have that kind of bandwidth. Tahiti is now off the internet. They are now destroyed by that. Not physically, but they're totally not functional. So while that's happening, uh, another message goes out because it can take, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours for these things to update. Uh, Another message goes out and says, now all internet traffic bound for the U.S. goes to um, Iwo Jima. I don't know. I'm picking something small. Um, and now they can't handle that. Their their buffers overrun. Their machines are they're done. So you, you know you couldn't take down a major um, entity like that. You couldn't take down the U.S. by sending all of China's and all of Russia's traffic to us. We could handle it. It would just slow things down. But you know it would be very easy to make to severely disrupt the entire internet. And people are now realizing this. They're saying, hey, these systems trust each other implicitly. Let's play with that trust. So that that poses the question um, that, that I am ham-handedly trying to get to. Can an internet built on the implicit trust of the mid-19th century, excuse me, mid-20th century, exist in the 21st century? Or do we need to, to totally scrap it and start over? Obviously, we can't do that. We can't live without the the world as it is cannot exist without the internet. The entire world would change if the internet went away. So we can't just scrap it and start over. But do we need to fundamentally change things? Does is email so broken that it can't be saved? Google thinks so. That's what Wave was all about. That's what right. these the that's what Google Doc. They're trying to get rid of email entirely. They believe it's so broken it can't be fixed. Even though you know they've got Gmail out there, but Gmail is not like regular email. They've they're trying to reinvent email, um, you know, and there are other systems that DNS uh, is fundamentally broken. Some people believe, and they want to totally replace DNS with something else. Um, but what is that, and how do you do it, and how do you do, how do you bring something new in without destroying something old? 
you know ipv6 has been out there for for years now with the doomsdayers saying we we're all we're out of ip4 addresses uh you know we're finding a way just fine because inertia is powerful right yeah um do you remember mark it has been i can't remember how long ago it was but there was an improperly configured router and again we're not talking about your business's core router we're talking about a big major backbone router and it ended up importing configurations from china uh and so basically the chinese firewall affected like i don't remember where it was but it was like somewhere up in the northeast or some part of the west coast um just simply because this um gateway border protocol i don't don't remember the exact acronym was configured wrong and so it accepted the um it accepted the advertisements from china's firewall and it basically anything you couldn't search for in china you couldn't search for in america and it wasn't and in this particular case it was because they had configured their router incorrectly um but you know so freedom of speech great but you're subjects to the technical limitations of those providing you that freedom um and this this is in the story if you go and read it the place in um the place in russia claimed that it was a software glitch that was since taken care of but i mean while very possible doesn't seem very probable that that's what had happened um but anyway it's just one of those things where now your subject in addition to bad guys, there's also the technical incompetence can, you know, it's, you didn't need to secure that particular protocol in the past, but now you better know how to secure it if you're going to be a top level player. Uh, do you remember that story? Yeah, I do. Exactly. Vaguely? Yeah. And, and that was a legitimate mistake. Um, and a legitimate mistake caused real problems. Uh, right, but now we're seeing, and and this is what bad guys do. Uh, first, they start out just seeing what happens, and then they start exploiting. You know, the, right? Uh, there has been self-propagating malware that did very little for a decade. Now, self-propagating malware encrypts your machine and holds it hostage. Um, the time for benign experimenting is over, and people are going to start taking advantage of this, and and. I'm worried about the the infrastructure as a whole, um, but I don't know how to fix it. You know, this is certainly way beyond me. I'm just a guy. Uh, but it, it begs the question, can we live in the 21st century with the technology of the 20th? Um, and, you know, in some ways, the snap answer is no, of course not. But in other ways, you know, we, we figure out a way. You know, we're still using steam engines, believe it or not. Uh, right in some places because it's a good idea and it still works some places so you know it's 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 a it's a tricky thing but we're not going to have a lot of time as a society to sit around and think about this because the the improper actors in society are are going to take advantage of this before we decide whether it's the morally right or financially uh responsible to fix the problems Yeah, I don't know. And again, this is one of those things you can do everything right, but still be at the mercy of someone else. That That's the thing about this is that you have no control. 
through something like this, all of a sudden, you know, you can't reach Gmail. Uh, you know, you know, maybe you can't reach Google. Well, that's not a big deal unless you're somebody who uses Gmail, YouTube, Google Plus. You know, imagine if all of a sudden Facebook went offline because somebody routed everything destined to Facebook to, uh, Liechtenstein, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, you can't access Facebook. Well, the world would have a hemorrhage because you wouldn't be <laughs> able to no cat videos. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't know who was saying what. And I wouldn't know what funny thing George Takaya posted and that my day would be sad. Um, but you know, imagine, you know, and you say, well, that's Facebook. That's not a big deal. But all of a sudden, you know, you can't access any of your banks over the line. You know, you can't access suppose. Suppose Amazon gets this email, pay us $2 million in bitcoins, or we will redirect all of your traffic to Nova Scotia or somewhere that can't handle it. Well, then they're being, they can have everything set up, but they aren't in control of the routers. Their site, they could have lockdown firewalls set up perfectly, everything patched to the latest vulnerability. No known weaknesses in their website, but all of a sudden nobody can reach them in order to do business. Well, Amazon makes thousands of dollars a second in sales. Imagine two days of no sales and all of a sudden the company's going dead. eBay, you know, you're about to make a bid, but nobody is able to sell things. Well, there's people who make a living on eBay and they can't go without their marketplace because, and again, you can do everything right. You can have your good antivirus, anti-malware, firewalls. You don't open click links. All, all the security things that are best practices you can do. But because of the implicit trust of the Internet. And again, I don't know. It's one of those things. If all of a sudden, if the if the fiber between, uh, you know, where I am, like I'm probably like Dallas to Atlanta. You know, if in Shreveport, the fiber got cut, I like that I can be rerouted around the country and Mark and I can still have this podcast in real time. That is a great benefit. You know, we might, our, our connection might hiccup for a second and get reestablished, but imagine if all of a sudden, instead of going from here to Atlanta, I'm going from here to South America over to Africa. And then I got to hit somewhere in China and then come back to Canada. Well, I mean, my traffic is going to get lost in that. So the good thing of the internet, fault tolerance and redundancy, how can we protect that? And that's, it's a big deal. Um, I, I just, it's a big deal and don't, don't lose sleep worrying about it, but just know that it's a big deal. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but there's monsters under your bed. We can't do anything about them. Just wanted you to know. Sleep tight. Yeah, they've been there. Um, they've been there the whole time. We're just telling you they're there, but don't worry, they don't. They're, they're harmless <laughs> until someone decides to awaken them, in which case you'll you'll die a bloody, violent death in the night. Um, sleep tight. So many times uh, in technology and in biology and in, in, in eology, um, you begin with the posit, can we do this? And then you answer that, yes, look, we did it. And then you move on, what can we do next? And you never go back and perfect the first thing. Good enough is good enough. Right. Um, and, you know, now 
We've built an entire society that is dependent on the internet. I, I, I stand by that. Our society as it, as it exists cannot exist without the internet. Not yeah, to say and, that and the world is going to collapse, but it'll change. And this is one of those things somebody's listening. Oh, well, I'm going off the grid, blah, blah, blah. Fine. You know, you might be off the grid, but society as a whole requires the information superhighway to do business, to move infrastructure, communication, real time. Um, you know, South Park, uh, do you watch South Park, Mark? I, no, I don't. Uh, there's an episode where, you know, the internet died and, you know, it was just, it was hilarious to watch, but you know, these news people didn't know how to do their job basically because (laughs) the internet wasn't there for them to get their news off of. And that's an absurd example, but you personally might, you know, maybe you're a mechanic and you spend all your days working on cars. Well, how are those parts sent to you? You know, UPS, order fulfillment, tracking, logistics, all of that uses the internet. You personally might not be touching the internet, but you don't have to go through too many steps before something that you need necessity depends on the internet. Um, and that whole internet is is held together by could we make it work level technology right uh nobody went back and made it any better they kept building on it um and and so other people are are asking the same questions how can we break it uh and and they're finding ways there are going to be more stories about this and it'll be interesting and and hopefully that you know people are have ideas i i don't know enough about this stuff to even posit an idea hopefully somebody uh, th- that's another thing that, that worries me the generation who built this is dying you know we've talked about that uh the last few uh episodes you know some some famous guy that did this died um you know they're they're dying now the guys who figured it out are dying and nobody i'm not gonna say nobody but very few people have ever ever gone back and asked you know how, how did you do this they just said, okay, you did this. Let's move on from there. Uh, so it'll, there's going to have to be some relearning, some reinventing, I think, that will have to happen somewhere along yeah. the line. Given that this works, where do we go from here? And one day this won't work anymore. Uh, right. It's, you know, the geeky people, which there's probably a high overlap between the people who watch us and fans of Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, you remember that episode where this planet uh relied on this computer to shield them from the world but all of a sudden the computer started malfunctioning and they didn't know how to fix it because they were so dependent on it for everything they didn't know how to work on it and i can't remember the name of the episode but um you know they um they basically stole kids from the enterprise and flung it halfway across the galaxy or whatever (laughs) um because they they lost the ability to fend for themselves because they depended on a computer. Now we're not at that level. If the internet ground to a screeching halt, you know, we would figure out how to pick up a phone and call somebody or mail a letter and commerce would still happen. It, it, there would be a massive, you know, train wreck of stuff, uh, while we got over it, but we could still function. We're not that bad, but you know, the people who, given that this works, what can we lay on top of this? Well, one of these days, somebody's going to lay something on it and it's not going to be able to bear the weight and everything's going to come crashing down. And that's kind of what these, uh, what people may or may not be doing. You know, if you believe the technical, oh, it was a glitch, but somebody somewhere is working on a way to relay traffic 
out of its way. And instead of going from, you know, here to Washington, D.C. straight, it's here from Washington, D.C., through Russia, through China, through Mongolia, through Guam, through Los Angeles, through Canada to Washington, D.C. And uh, it's not a big deal now, but used to, what was it? 12 or 16 hops was all packets would take and do you remember mark early in early on in the internet in mid 90s there were certain websites you couldn't go to because they were too many routers away or you you can't get there from here yeah that would right or if you would just refresh the page you might lose it or you might get it because the route it was taken was too many hops or all of a sudden it was enough and the routing protocols have gotten more robust and now that number is some ridiculous number that you can get all the way around the world through routers now but that was a very that was very common oh i can't reach that page i'm too far away um or let me refresh and see if i can get it sometimes i can sometimes i can it just depends on which route is open so you know all, all of a sudden you can't reach places that you used to could um because traffic is being routed elsewhere i i it very, it's a conversation that people need to be talking about, but I don't think anybody is. You know, they're too busy watching cat videos on Facebook. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my, I have a lot of friends who are right wing people, uh, you know, and, you know, everything's about how Obama is Satan and he's here to kill, you know, I mean, Golly, there wouldn't be an outlet for that if Facebook went away. And I'm sure there's people who have liberal leaning friends who, you know, George Bush is the reason that flowers that, you know, your poop stinks, you know, just people like that. So you won't have an out. And, you know, I had a point and I don't remember it. So I'm going to stop now. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I was wondering where you were going with that. Turns out you were too. Um, yeah, I was going somewhere, but you know, my somebody hijacked my route, and I just got lost in the in the delivery. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, if you have something to say about this, the way to do that is over at elementop.com. Click the Contact Us button, send me an email, and I will read it on the show. Or send us an email directly at edl at elementop.com. Or use the uh, the 559-IAM-OP phone number and leave us a voicemail. Uh, let us know what you think. If you're one of those guys who's who's uh, the one of the grand wizards of the back plane and you know about this sort of stuff and can, can break it down for us, let us know. We'd love to have you on the show and have you explain this to us uh, in better ways uh, than we can. But uh, I like having these kind of discussions. If there are things like this that bother you, that that you've thought about, that you and your friends have sat around over a beer and discussed, and you'd like us to do the same thing, uh, let us know. All that can happen over at elementopi.com. Let us know what you think. And uh, so moving on from that, Seth, who said that? Yeah, this is a link, um, howstuffworks.com. This is actually money.howstuffworks.com. It's a quiz. Who said this? Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, or somebody else? And just if you're taking this, some of the answers are the other person. So they're not all Bill Gates or Steve Jobs, but it's kind of interesting. Some of them are pretty obvious. Oh, I know Bill Gates said that. And I know Steve Jobs said that, but there was one I was like, Oh, that was Bill Gates. No, Steve Jobs said that. Wow. Um, so it might surprise you who said what. So anyway, that's what I'm calling it. Who said it? So over at howstuffworks.com, the link will be in the show notes. Check it out. So I clicked on thing and here's what I got. I was worth over a million when I was 23, over 10 million when I was 24, and worth over 100 million when I was 25. 
and it wasn't that important because I never did it for the money. Was that Gates, Jobs, or Donald Trump? I'm going to say Donald Trump. Nope, Steve Jobs. <laughs> it says, you're wondering why Mother Teresa wasn't an option, right? Nope, it's Jobs. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. I have $100 billion. You realize I could spend $3 million a day, every day, for the next 100 years? Warren Buffett. Nope, Bill Gates. See, I'm trying intentionally not to guess those two, and I'm getting them all wrong. Uh, so that's interesting. Yeah, who said that? I love I love quotes like that because it, often uh, we misinterpret people. Uh, we think we know them, but we don't. Right. Uh, all right, so I've already done the contact us because it fit there. We don't have a command line tip because the command line godfather isn't with us. So the only thing left to say is thank you for living your life in the context of Linux with us. Thanks for being a listener, Seth. Thanks for being uh, the foil uh, by off of which I can bounce my ideas. This uh, Seth and I have had these discussions for 25 years. We just had one in front of you tonight. Right. You know, it's kind of weird. Chris, we need you back because if you're looking at the Hangout, I'm all on the left side of my picture and Mark's on the right side of his and we're like almost touching. So you need to pull Mark back towards the center. Back to the middle. Mark, the man in the middle. Ooh, I like that. Mark, yeah. the man in the middle. Um, anyway, so uh, thanks everybody and uh, we hope you had a great uh, Thanksgiving, those of you in the U.S. We hope you had a great Thursday, the rest of the people in the rest of the world and we'll see you next week. Good night everybody. That ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.